Hello, and welcome to another edition of the ACDS podcast. I'm Scott Betosh, the head of Alexandria Country Day School, and in this podcast series, we explore innovative education practices and interview thought leaders in the field. Today, it's my great pleasure to share my conversation with H. Andrew Schwartz, Chief Communications Officer at the Center for Strategic and International Studies. Andrew is responsible for directing the Center's media relations, congressional relations, events, publications, website, marketing, and other external relations matters. He's also in charge of the CSIS Ideas Lab, a media center that produces award-winning data visualization products, informational videos, podcasts, and more. He writes The Evening, a nightly publication, and he hosts a number of podcasts, including The Trade Guys and About the News podcast, which he co-hosted with CSIS trustee Bob Schieffer. Now, why, you might ask, is this head of a small K-8 independent school talking with the chief communications officer at a foreign policy and national security think tank? Well, at Alexandria Country Day School, we believe that the ability to communicate effectively is the real 21st century skill. And we work intensively with our students to help them develop exceptional communication skills. So we have a unique interest in understanding what constitutes effective communication, as the mechanisms for sharing ideas become increasingly complex in an ever more complicated world. So I thought, who better to talk to than Andrew if I wanted to understand what communication challenges our students will face as they grow up, and what skills they will need to be truly excellent communicators. The work Andrew leads at CSIS is on the cutting edge of contemporary communication. Through the Ideas Lab, CSIS produces award-winning data visualization products, videos, podcasts, and publications that use digital media to communicate incredibly complex ideas clearly, succinctly, and effectively. Our conversation didn't disappoint. Andrew's understanding of the communication terrain is deep. And though he's not focused on youth, he was remarkably insightful about what skills, attitudes, and habits of mind kids will need to be successful communicators in the future. I hope you enjoy listening as much as I enjoyed the discussion. Andrew Schwartz, welcome to the ACDS podcast. Glad to be here with you, Scott. So I feel the need to acknowledge that while I'm welcoming you to the ACDS podcast, we're actually sitting in the CSIS studio uh, and using your amazing equipment, which is why this is likely to sound a lot better than our other podcasts have sounded. (laughs) Um, So thank you for that. It's Um, good to have you here at the CSIS studio. We're excited. And we're sitting here with uh, a, a whole group of our students who are looking forward to learning about podcasting. And so I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us about this. Um, can you tell us a little bit about where we are right now and kind of what kind of things happen here? Sure. You're you're in our studio. And, you know, when people think of studio, they think of this, you know, big sprawling space with lots of stuff. We actually, our studio is small and tight and compact, and we have it that way for a reason. It sounds good, um, and it's also versatile. We have cameras here. We do audio here. We do video here. We have uh, backdrops here because our experts every single day come down here and they go live from this spot to CNN, to BBC, 
to CNBC, to Bloomberg, to you know NBC News, anywhere you, you name it, they can go live globally all around the world directly from this spot because we're connected to fiber links from all over the world. And so we do live shots from here. Um, so you'll see our CSIS experts against a, a backdrop. You'll see um, we film a lot of things here that we use for our, our uh, video products that we designed for YouTube, and we also um, record most of our podcasts in the studio. That's amazing. I mean, and, it, and it seems like one of the things I notice in here is that it's a pretty simple space. Very simple. Uh, very straightforward. I'm sure the equipment behind the scenes is not simple. The equipment is a little <laughs> more complex, but it's also, you know, it's very straightforward stuff. We're not, you know, it's important that we keep it simple here. I can imagine that really that really helps. I mean, looking at your bio, you've worked in just about every form of media there is. Yeah. Um, can you tell us a little bit about your professional journey and, and what led you to into the communication business in the first place? Well, I always, you know, I grew up in the Washington and DC area, and I always wanted to work in public policy. And so, um, when I graduated from Tulane University in New Orleans, um, you know, I had already done an internship on Capitol Hill, um, you know, during college, uh, summer of my summer before my senior year of college. And so, as soon as I graduated from Tulane, I came back home um, to work uh, for Senator Jay Bennett Johnston um, as a legislative fellow in his office, and I did that for about a year. Um, then I went to work for Stuart E. Eisenstadt, Stuart E. Eisenstadt, uh, who was uh, Jimmy Carter's domestic policy advisor. Later went on to be uh, hold a lot of positions in the Clinton administration, including Deputy Secretary of of uh, the Treasury. But when I worked for Stu, he was uh, a Washington lobbyist, a rainmaker, and I thought I was going to go to law school. But what I worked on with Stu was I was his research assistant and I was working on a book with him at the time and I got to interview and watch Stu interview everybody who was anybody in the Carter administration. And that's where I really caught the journalism bug. And so I decided that instead of going to law school, I would go to journalism school. And so I went to, uh, I did the journalism public policy degree uh, here in DC at the American University because I knew that I wanted to work in national news and meaning, you know, Washington National News. And the AU program that I did in uh, 94, 95, 96 really plugged me right into um, my first serious job at a little startup, tiny little startup called Fox News Channel. (laughs) (laughs) And this was before Fox was anything. This was Fox wasn't on the air anywhere. I worked, um, you know, as one of their first uh, desk assistants where you start out in the news business. Um, I later became uh, one of Britt Hume's producers when Britt Hume joined. That was amazing. I, you know, he said, oh, I hear you have a master's degree. And I said, yeah. And he said, well, now I'm going to really teach you how to do news. And he <laughs> sure did. Um, I worked for the late Tony Snow uh, as well as Britt there. And then I got to cover the White House. Um, this is during George W. Bush's time in office. And um, all the while, I was still thinking, you know, I went to journalism school because I wanted to learn how to be a communications professional. I knew that to be a communications professional, like to be a spokesman, to be a um, communications director, you needed to really learn how to be a journalist and how a journalist works and how a journalist acts and how what their life is like. And going into journalism and spending seven years in it, I really learned what the, a daily life of a journalist is like. Um, And one of the great things is when I was working at Fox, the internet kind of blew up 
And, you know, I started to write for foxnews.com, which led to writing for a bunch of national magazines and uh, newspapers like the Washington Post. Um, and so I, I caught, I really picked up my, my writing skills as well as my broadcast skills. And all the while, um, getting this experience in, in journalism for a good seven years plus, plus uh, J school, I kept thinking in the back of my mind, I really want to go into, you know, a broader communications role. And so that's what I did. And, you know, I, I really learned how to be a journalist and how to think like a journalist and how a journalist's life operates. Uh, and so I used that to uh, become a spokesman and, and deputy communications director at APAC, the pro-Israel lobby. Um, worked there for a couple of years, and then my dream job came up. It was, you know, and this came up the old-fashioned way. I answered an ad in the Roll Call newspaper to be a deputy director of external relations at the Center for Strategic and International Studies, and I couldn't believe it. It was really my dream job then. I answered the ad. I got the job, and, you know, almost 14 years later, I'm now chief communications officer here, and... It's still my dream job, and it's even more than my dream job. It's it's really my calling. You mentioned that you answered a newspaper ad when you got the job here, uh, so I imagine there have been some changes since then. Can you tell us a little bit about how the technology of communication has changed since you've been at CSIS? When I covered the White House, we had Blackberries and Pagers. We didn't have uh, iPhones. and But Blackberries really sped things up, because now you could get your email on the go. So that changed everything. And we had to really transform the culture here at CSIS in terms of media relations. And then later on, we've, well, we transformed our, we have transformed our media culture here um, several times over. And now our culture is focused on not only um, working with the traditional media and being ultra responsive and, um, you know, helpful and really having deep relationships with all the top tier media and the most important media, both in the United States and globally. But our, we have a media culture that's focused on um, social media and growing our social media organically and not just reaching a huge audience, but reaching an audience that we know we're trying to reach, you know, the core audience that matters. We're also trying to uh, build and we have built uh, a video culture and a podcasting culture and an immersive reading culture. And that's the kind of thing that we're really focused on here at CSIS that makes this such an exciting job. Um, plus, we do about 800 public facing events a year here and webcast them all live. And there's that, too. So it's a it's a it's a dream of a communications job. And um, something really, really cool would have to come along for me to get excited about something else. Hmm. So it's interesting. Uh, you know, you said that even before you got into journalism, I think you had this drive that you felt that the need to communicate something was important and journalism was a pathway there and that the mindset of the journalist was really important to you. Um, but you always had this sort of through line that you wanted to communicate. And it's interesting, people of our generation uh, really straddled the two communication worlds. And we have one foot, we remember those days of the, the old forms of communication that moved sure. at such a slower pace and you had money, uh, a more limited vocabulary to work in, but we've, we're, we're young enough to have been able to adopt some of these new 
uh, technologies appreciate at least appreciate their value and bring younger people in to do it. But we've that's a good that's, a good, that's <laughs> a good way of putting. <laughs> but we're really getting to see the. But I think it, it shines a light on why this idea of of being able to communicate effectively is so important. Right? And I think it's that's so something important. that you've really really shared with me. And I'm wondering if you could, you know, why do you think that that fundamental ability to communicate effectively in a lot of different ways, a lot of different media, is so important, particularly today. Today, you can't get in an elevator without messages coming at you. You can't get in a cab without messages coming at you. You can't fill up your can't you can't fill up your your car at a gas station without someone talking at you. And so there's you're constantly having messages coming at you. We have a media culture where you know we have a deluge of news coming at you um, and images and messages and all sorts of things. And so. It's important if you want to communicate information that if you are in an organization that wants to communicate your point of view about something or your policy ideas, like in our case, or your message, like in the case of so many organizations all over the world, uh, particularly here in Washington, you need to understand the modern media landscape. It's critical. And for young people growing up, um, people who are being educated now um, at your school and, and other places, media literacy is critical because not only are you having this barrage of this deluge and barrage of news coming at you, you're having fake news come at you and you're having deep fakes come at you. And so you need to understand what's real and what's not. And you need to understand that it's important to consume news from a variety of sources and from sources that you trust and to understand where the news that you're consuming is coming from in terms of its point of view. Um, and the other thing is, is the tools are, you know, you, you we talked about at the beginning of this, um, how the stuff in here is, you know, the, the equipment in here, some of it looks complex and some of it is complex, but the stuff that's available out there that's so widely available and, and it's actually um, pretty reasonably priced, you can use to, uh, to communicate. Like, for instance, anyone who owns an iPhone can record and edit and, pr and publish a podcast with that iPhone alone. Um, they don't need fancy recording right. equipment. You can also, you know, some people have shot movies using just an iPhone. Um, there's the technology is, is, easy to use. It's readily available. And so all this stuff, this is a long way of saying it, but all this stuff's out there and it's critical that we know how to use it. And it's critical that, you know, as we're educating um, the youth of America, that they embrace this and that they know both the dark side of communication and they know the possibilities there are out there to really um, enlighten audiences. Well, what I really like about what you're saying is it's not just what you're putting out there, what you say, what you show, everybody wants to make a video, but but you spoke to the ability to listen, yeah, the ability to interpret, the ability to, to decipher what you read, determine what makes sense, what doesn't make sense, what might be a fake, <laughs> what might yeah. be somebody trying to pull the wool over your eyes. Those skills are as much a part of communication as speaking writing, producing a video. For sure. And if you, in order to do the, the, the latter part really well, you need to be able to do the first part. You need to be able to sift information. That's, and that's one of the things I think that is extraordinary about what you do here at CSIS, 
you take these extremely complicated ideas, you know, global trade, you know, uh, geopolitical conflict, and you distill them down. You were talking earlier to our students about these 90-second videos that you're doing to get these ideas down that may not tell the whole story, but capture people's attention, get them to dig deeper. Right. And that seems like such a, a vital piece. You know, what are, what are the elements in that? What, what's key in being able to do that? What are the key things that you need to look for to be able to, to take these complicated ideas and make them simpler? I think that, you know, it goes back to just really good storytelling. And I don't care, you know, Maureen Dowd told Bob Schieffer and I for our book that she said, this is a great quote. She said that, you know, she doesn't care whether, you know, the message is being delivered by carrier pigeon or by, you know, iPhone. The narrative arc is still the narrative arc. And so, with these short stories that we're telling or a longer podcast we might be doing, the narrative arc is critical. And so in telling a short 90-second video story, you got to make sure that there's a good beginning, middle, and end, and that it has a good narrative arc that people can follow. And it might not tell, like you said, it might not tell the whole story, but it's got to be it's got to be scripted out so it's telling a story that engages the audience. And, you know, one thing, you know, we were talking about fake news just a second ago. I think media literacy needs to be taught from a very early age, age appropriate, of course, but it needs to be part of American education from an early age and age appropriate because in the years to come, fakes are going to get deeper and deeper and there's nothing we can do to combat it except have a national conversation and do education at a very age-appropriate and ongoing level. This is a problem that isn't like a quick fix. This is a problem that's here to stay. It's not going away. It's always been here, by the way. Hmm. You know, it's as old as Thomas Jefferson, and it's older, even right. older than that. Um, but we're really, we've really got some issues with it now. And you know, there's governments that, like Russia, they're trying to sow disinformation campaigns. There are. Um, you know, all kinds of people who are using fake news uh, to sow discontent. Um, there's all kinds of people using the media for um, their own political gains. People need to know what they're consuming and they need to be able to have the tools to judge it. And it needs to be, I really believe it needs to be a, a national conversation. We at CSIS view news as a national security issue. And we hope to be studying news as a national security issue um, in the days and months and years to come. So as a school, we've come to appreciate that communication skills are, are one of those vital skills that you can have. But of course, our population is a little different than yours. We're yeah. working with kids. Yeah. You're working with... Uh, yours is so much cooler than we're, ours. Yeah, we may be cooler. We yeah. may be cooler. But I, I believe that the seeds that allow people to be successful in your world get seeded in ours, right? And you've, you've alluded to that a little bit. So, I mean, I think just lastly, what skills do you think are most important for kids to have? Or, or maybe a way to think about it is what do you look for? Those fundamental skills. Maybe they beyond knowing how to design a video, but maybe their fundamental skills that are appropriate to kids at the elementary age, what are the most important skills you look for and be able to do this work effectively? It's a great question, Scott. I mean, writing is critical. You know, everybody needs to have a foundation in writing. I think it's critical to have that writing skill. I think it's also important to have good um, oral communication skills. I think some, you know, for some of us, it's, you know, talking is really easy. I love to talk, you know, and it's fun to talk and it's second nature. I come from, you know, but my sister doesn't love to talk and she's a teacher and she's good at talking <laughs> as a teacher, but like, you know, she's not a, uh, you know, 
you know, the biggest gabber. You know, I think it's important for people to learn how to express themselves clearly and without um, hesitation and thoughtfully um, and, you know, without being nervous because it, it's really, it's important to be able to present yourself well. It's important to be able to express yourself clearly. Um, and I think that goes hand in hand with being able to express yourself in writing clearly. Um, the things that I look for in people are those two skills, you know, absolutely. Um, the technical skills can come later. Um, and, and if you're a good writer and a good um, communicator, you know, with oral communication skills, you're, you're, you're bound to um, get into some of these other things. So that's from early on, you have to have a foundation in, um, in writing and you have to have a foundation in um, oral communication because I think that, you know, what I tell the young people who come to work for me also is, you know, the younger generation of millennials now they're not as inclined, and, 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 I, and I also put, you know, high school students, my kids, I have teenagers, um, they're not as inclined to pick up the phone and call somebody as they are to text somebody. Right. And sometimes when they're at parties, I even see them sitting next to each other on the sofa, and they're all on their iPhones texting rather than talking to each other. And one of the things that I always tell the young people who come to work here is, you know, when you're doing media relations or you're doing even internal relations at CSIS, go talk to the person in person. Call the person. Don't just send them an email. Don't just send them a text. Do you know how many emails they get? Do you know how many right, texts they right. get? It's really important to pick up the phone. Um, you know, going back to Bob Schieffer, Bob calls me. You know, Bob picks up the phone. I call him. We have a relationship. And that's because... You know, A, he's old school, but B, it always reminds me that all the relationships that I have um, in this town are based on one-to-one -one relationships where you meet with the people, you talk to them on the phone, you spend time with them. And I think that that is something that this younger generation needs to keep in mind. It's old school. It's like the simplest thing to ever think about. But in this age where we have communications that are so easy at our fingertips all the time and it's easier to text somebody and it's easier to email somebody go talk to them in person or call somebody well i think ending on that idea of, of building relationships is really is really appropriate because that's it's more than just the skill of being able to talk or write those things are fundamental but you have to be able to build relationship over time and understand the relationships how, how are people critical work. yeah the relationships yeah. are critical and and you know and i think that's not just in washington i think that's in any you know business or industry or field that they're going to go into. Um, the relationships are critical and people appreciate people who are invested in relationships. Andrew, I, I really want to thank you for the support you've given to Alexandria Country Day School by talking to me, by facilitating this experience for our students. This has been really wonderful. So thank you so much. Oh, it's my pleasure. She always said that I That's it from Alexandria Country Day School. Thank you to H. Andrew Schwartz and the Center for Strategic and International Studies for sharing their great work with our students. Thank you to Juan Zarati, the member of our Board of Trustees who introduced me to Andrew, and to the ACDS community for their support of our mission to foster independent learners, effective communicators, community-minded citizens, and balanced individuals. Thanks also to our music teacher, Andrew Pfeiffer, and his band Feel Free for our intro music. 
I hope you'll check out our other episodes and that you'll rate our program and leave a comment. We would love your feedback. Thanks for listening. Trailer, my